0: hello and welcome to scream scene the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst my name's sarah and i'm ben thanks for listening to us today it's a fine day fine summer day
1: is it i I haven't been outside today
0: Yeah, it's been alternating between hot and stormy, which is always like...
1: So it's July.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I I guess it's August
1: technically now.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, But I I like that contrast because it kind of like makes it cooler. Like the storms make it cooler.
1: Oh, absolutely. It would be hard to get through summer without the storms. Sort of like how it's hard to get through winter without the Chinooks.
0: Calgary gets Chinooks. Chinooks (laughs) Chinooks I, <laughs> are periods of warm air coming from the mountains.
1: Yeah, I was like I I said Chinook and then I was like, "Oh, people might need to know what a like that we're in Calgary and that Calgary gets Chinooks." And then it was like, "Oh, I don't think they get Chinooks anywhere else, so maybe it needs to be explained." So, I have thank no you for idea. Yeah, I don't it's such a like localized thing and like the word is a localized word, right? Like
0: Yeah, I think it's from Blackfoot.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's just warm wind that comes down from the
0: mountains. Yeah, from the coast. Yes. So what are we watching today? Does any of this (laughs) have...
1: (laughs) No, we're just rambling. So today, Sarah, we are watching Black Friday from 1940.
0: And it's a Friday that we're recording it. Hey,
1: that's true. I didn't notice that. Synergy. We don't usually record on Fridays. Yeah. Didn't do this on purpose. So Black Friday's from Universal Studios, uh, which also was the studio behind the last movie we watched, uh, The Invisible Man Returns. Mm-hmm. And that movie was written by Kurt Syedmak. So after that film, he continued to work for Universal Pictures. And uh, this was his next project, a script uh, treatment that was originally called Friday the 13th. Really? Yeah.
0: Interesting. So is that, is that the one with Jason?
1: Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So, uh, joining Syed Mack in the task of writing the script for Friday the 13th was pulp magazine writer Eric Taylor. Born in Chicago in 1897, Taylor wrote crime fiction for pulps like Black Mask in the 20s and 30s. In the mid-30s he began writing scripts for Republic Pictures, and this would be his first script for Universal Pictures though not his last by a long shot. We're going to be coming back to Taylor in future episodes. Uh,
0: well, that's good. That means he's, he's developing his career. Yeah. Same with Syed Mac, uh
1: as well. He's, he's going to be a returning character on the show. <laughs> Initially, the script was written with the intent of starring Bella Lugosi as mad Hungarian scientist Dr. Ernest Sovak and Boris Karloff as English professor George Kingsley. The last time we saw the two of them together, was Son of Frankenstein, where Karloff had been quite upset over being upstaged by Lugosi's performance as Igor. Yeah. Since then, Karloff had starred in three Mr. Wong films, The Man They Could Not Hang, the historical drama Tower of London, and the spy thriller British Intelligence. Meanwhile, Lugosi's appearances since we last saw him in The Dark Eyes of London We're limited to a villainous turn in the action-adventure movie The Saints' Double Trouble.
0: So Karloff's getting a lot more roles and a lot more things out of horror.
1: Yeah. Now, Karloff refused to appear with Lugosi in this film if he did not have greater screen time than (laughs) Lugosi did. He was still somewhat upset over being upstaged in his own movie the last time they appeared together and he pressured Universal into giving him the mad scientist role that had been written for Lugosi.
0: Yeah, how is how is Karlov supposed to play a Hungarian? I mean, that, I guess that's acting, but like, okay, okay, I'll let you tell the story.
1: Now, instead of switching Lugosi over to Karloff's part, he was actually bumped down to a minor role as an American gangster. <laughs> Uh, who has no scenes with Karloff. Okay. Despite this, Lugosi retained second billing and a prominent position on the movie's poster, a prime example of a studio valuing Lugosi for advertising purposes more than for his acting. Years later, Kurt Syedmak revealed that it was more than just a fear of being upstaged. Karloff was intimidated by the demands of the Kingsley part he was originally cast in and felt safer playing the mad scientist role and asked for the change for this reason. Okay. It was also at this time that the movie's title was changed to Black Friday. The vacation of Karloff from the Kingsley role provided a golden opportunity for actor Stanley Ridges, who then took the part. The 50-year-old British actor was an experienced stage and screen performer who specialized in character parts. Ridges was joined in the cast by Anne's Nagel and Gwynn and Virginia Brissac. Anne Nagel had been enrolled by her parents in Notre Dame Academy with the expectation that she would become a nun. But <laughs> she became a model instead. That's quite a
0: different profession.
1: First in photography and then in tests for technicolor, which led to a contract at 20th Century Fox at age 14. The same year uh, that she made Black Friday, the 25-year-old actress also appeared as Britt Reed's love interest in the original movie serial version of The Green Hornet from Universal Pictures.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: A role she reprised in the 1941 sequel. Black Friday would be Anne Nagel's first horror film, but hardly her last. The film's other Anne is
0: Anne Gwynne, Quick question. Do they spell their name with or without an E? They're both ends with E's. Awesome. Cool. Born
1: Marguerite Trice to Pearl Gwyn and Jefferson Trice in 1918, Anne Gwyn began her career as a swimwear model at age 21. She signed a contract with Universal, and Black Friday would be her fourth film with the studio. Later in 1940, she would appear as Lady Sonia in the third Universal Studios' Flash Gordon serial, Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe. <laughs> she would go on to become one of the most popular pin-up girls of World War II and appear in many more horror films as an early Scream Queen. Her daughter, Gwyn Guilford, married actor Robert Pine. Chris Pine is their son.
0: Ah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know Chris Pine came from, like, a family of actors. Mm-hmm.
1: So this is his grandmother. Uh, the other actress in this movie I want to talk about is Virginia Brissac, who was born in 1883 and became a stage actress in 1902, uh, becoming a popular young ingenue.
0: What does that mean? Ingenue? Yeah.
1: Like a young actress who's popular and in like certain kinds of like roles, like Christine Daae in the story of the Family of the Opera would be an ingenue. Okay. Just like a... A, a actress who is debuting, who is popular, who is put in youthful, romantic roles usually. Okay. Uh, Brissac's daughter, Ardell Ray, was born in 1907 and would later grow up to be the writer of several 1940s Val Lewton horror films. Brissack would retire from the stage after her marriage in 1915, working as a private secretary to singer Ross Columbo In 1927... She divorced, and in 1934, her boss died in a shooting accident. So, she returned to acting in 1935, appearing in over 155 roles until her retirement in 1955 after playing James Dean's grandmother in Rebel Without a Cause.
0: (laughs) So, we have some people involved in this film that are going to continue in horror. Yes. So, whether that's the writers or the actors... So, what do you think we can expect from this film? Well, hard to say. Yeah.
1: It's interesting to have the mix of Kurt Syedmak, who has already written a horror film at this point, and uh, the other writer, Eric Taylor. Who's, who's pulp. A, and Specifically a crime pulp uh, writer. Mm-hmm. Now, Black Friday was directed by Arthur Lubin. Born Arthur Lubowski to Polish immigrants in 1898, He was actually an acclaimed stage actor in the 1920s uh, but began leaning into directing towards the end of that decade. He once said he believed that every good director should have a period of their career where they're an actor so that they can actually understand how to direct their actors, and he felt that too many directors were ex-writers who knew how they wanted the scene to play out but no idea how to communicate that to an actor. In Hollywood, he initially worked for Paramount followed by stints at Monogram and Republic, before signing with Universal in 1936. Black Friday was still relatively early in Lubin's film career. He would achieve his greatest successes later when he directed the first five Abbott and Costello films.
0: Oh, does and he direct the Abbott and Costello meet?
1: Frankenstein? Frankenstein? No, that or... was that was much later. Okay, um, okay. Also later in his career, he was the first director to sign Clint Eastwood to a role uh, in the 1950s, and even later than that, he was the creator of the 1960s sitcom Mr. Ed. That's the one with the talking horse. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, older listeners probably will. (laughs) Lubin brought Black Friday in $5,000 under budget and on schedule. Uh, Costing the studio only $125,750 after a three-week shoot, despite Karloff insisting on only working eight-hour days. The film was released on February 29th, 1940.
0: So demanding, only eight-hour days.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was a whole thing with Karloff being, you know, an early proponent of the Screen Actors Guild and fighting for all of these union concepts of, like, safe work hours and breaks and things like that um which have not really survived because there's a continual mentality in the film industry film and television industries that like 12 to 16 hour days are like a must for that industry to remain profitable I guess because of equipment rental costs and a bunch of economic stuff that I don't really (laughs) need to go into at this time sure
0: no worries So how can we watch this film?
1: Well, it is currently available on the Bella Lugosi DVD collection from Universal Home Video. So that is how we are seeing it.
0: Despite him playing a lesser role.
1: Yeah, I think it's like just because that way they could have all of Lugosi's Universal movies that were not Dracula or Frankenstein or one of the other monster franchises sort of on one collection. Okay. And then have... Like, separate Boris Karloff sets for the movies that he didn't appear with Lugosi in? I don't know, but it is a little weird.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, you don't have to sleep on the sidewalk anymore. The store is opening. We got those screaming deals ready for you to see Black Friday. (laughs) I had no
1: idea where you were going with that for a (laughs) second.
0: You're going to hear a brief musical break, and then when we come back, we will discuss Black Friday from... 1940.
1: See you on the other side, everyone. Welcome back everyone to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Black Friday from 1940. And uh, that title really has nothing to do with anything. The original Friday the 13th title is just when the movie starts it's on a Friday the 13th. Like when the inciting incident happens I mean to say. Yeah. That's it. They do sneak it in there still though because the title Black Friday comes up in the credits like in front of a calendar showing the Friday the 13th date. (laughs) Which is, like, I, I can't figure out if it's just that they shot that title sequence, like, backing before the title change, or if it was just someone trying to, like, stick it to the studio for changing the movie title, or what. Anyways, um, did you like this movie, Sarah? Not really. It was okay. Yeah. I would have said that it was, like, weird and interesting and different, except that we've actually seen... Like all the parts of this movie, in other movies,
0: and it's kind of like a bottle episode.
1: Yes, totally. So,
0: so what that means is that like most of it takes place in a particular room, like a, an episode of Star Trek where they all stay on the bridge and don't change sets or anything. Yeah, that would be a bottle episode where you're you're just in this one place.
1: Yeah, it comes from the idea of a ship in a bottle. Yeah, the ship doesn't go anywhere.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, we're mainly in this hotel room.
1: There's a lot of plot in this movie, but a lot of it happens off screen. Yeah. But, like, all I mean to say is it's weird how bizarre this movie is in isolation, but then when you do a show like this and you watch every horror movie ever, you can look at a movie this bizarre and go, oh, no, this is part of a common trend of similar films. (laughs) That's super weird. Because this is such a silly movie.
0: It's very, very goofy. Um, Do you mind telling us what it's about, Sarah? Sure. We start with Dr. Ernest Sovac, who is Karloff, heading to the electric chair. And as he passes his notes to a reporter, we begin a flashback to a Friday the 13th -hmm. when English professor George Kingsley has bad luck and is caught in a shootout between some gangsters. Sovak, who is a neuroscientist, neurologist?
1: Brain surgeon.
0: He's a brain doctor. Sovak goes to the hospital. The gangster who was kind of shot out, his name is Red Cannon. He's alive but paralyzed. Um and at the hospital he begs Dr. Sovak, thinking he's the his actual doctor, to save his life. You know, to help help me walk again. You gotta save me, I'll do anything. But Kingsley is dying. So to save his best friend, Sovak goes and saves Kingsley by putting some of Red's brain in Kingsley?
1: The movie's super unclear about what exactly
0: They say it's he does. a brain transplantation.
1: Yeah, it's not like a full it's not like a full like he he doesn't it, clearly he didn't, like, take Kingsley's brain out of Kingsley and just put cannons in. That's not what happened. Because he's got, like, both dudes in there.
0: Yeah, it, so the result of this operation is Kingsley is Kingsley, but he it's almost like he has multiple personalities where sometimes red will come out.
1: I, I suppose maybe the idea is supposed to be that, like, if a part of Kingsley's brain was injured or damaged because he's supposed to be in a coma, that, like he replaced that damaged part with, like, part from Cannon's brain, but that's never really well explained anywhere. No. Also, this is murder. I just want to point this out. He had an alive dude who just couldn't walk again, and he had a dude in a coma, and he killed the alive dude in order to save the dude in a coma. That's
0: yeah but the dude who died was a criminal. Listen this is not how, listen
1: This is not how medical ethics is supposed to work, Sarah.
0: <laughs> so uh, Red dies while Kingsley recovers and word gets out in the newspapers that Red had hid five hundred thousand dollars because Tovac starts to see Red's personality coming out in Kingsley's characteristics and his day-to-day activities, he decides that, I'll take Kingsley to New York, put him back in, like, Red's normal environment. Maybe he'll start to remember where the money is, and we'll, not we, I'll be rich. I can buy a new laboratory.
1: Yeah, again, Sovak, not a paragon of medical ethics.
0: No. And he, he kind of succeeds. Um, Red does come out in the personality, but kind of takes over Kingsley's body and begins hunting down the members of his gang that had shot him down. So, you know, he's murdering all these people, Kingsley's all nervous about it, and just as Red gets the money, Kingsley comes back in. When he returns as Kingsley, Sovak takes the money. Kingsley is none the wiser. Back in idyllic Newcastle, where this is otherwise based. Red seems to be all but gone, uh, as he rears his head. Right near the end of the movie, he goes to Sovac's and actually attacks Sovac's daughter in a rage, because he realizes that Sovac has stolen the money, and Sovac ends up having to shoot him. Red goes back to being Kingsley, asks, Why? why do you shoot me? <laughs> to which we flash back to quote-unquote, present day, to the journal saying, I guess you now know why. And we don't, really, but it doesn't really matter because Sovac is then electrocuted. The end. The end.
1: What's the other way? Flashback is when you're remembering. You just used it to get us back to the present. What's the, what's the other way? Flash forward?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. We come back to the present, quote-unquote.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, this...
1: (sighs) Here's the thing about this movie, Sarah. You summarized the majority of its running time with, like, one half sentence in that plot summary, which was, he hunts down the members of his former gang and gets the money back. Yeah. That's 90% of what this movie is. Like, that's the thing that's really weird here is, like, this is the same kind of shit we've seen in The Walking Dead... With the mm-hmm. hunt down the gangsters for revenge plot, mm-hmm. uh, the man who changed his mind with the brain switching, mm-hmm. uh, the man they could not hang with, like, the Karloff as a scientist is going to be electrocuted for his crimes against God and nature. The only thing that's really strange here is that this movie's made by Universal and not Warner Brothers. Yeah. For all the, like, gangsters and, like, crime, urban stuff that's in here. I mean, We definitely saw Eric Taylor's expertise as a pulpy crime writer come out in this movie, but it's like the inverse of what we've seen with Warner Brothers horror movies, where like Warner Brothers horror movies are basically just crime movies that they're used to making with some horror thrown in, and this is like Universal wanted to make a crime movie, but they're used to horror, so they started with a horror premise and then went to crime,
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting um, to kind of take this as an example of a gangster film of the time rather than as a horror movie of the time. Yeah. And to kind of see Universal dipping its toes into that trend that eventually becomes film noir. Because we see, like, sprinkles of film noir with, like, the use of shadow in certain parts here. And, yeah, dipping its toes into crime or gangster films through its horror brand
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah I mean this this is Lugosi this is Karloff you know they have top billing uh you look at the posters for this movie the way it was marketed it's marketed as one of their horror movies but watching it like this is more like a gangster movie that has sort of a mad science gimmick to -hmm. set it apart from the pack but otherwise like the stuff about canon coming back could have been the plot of any gangster movie. Like, all you would do is you'd just substitute in the idea that, like, he died and got returned to life by Mad Science with, like, he got sent to prison and now he's escaped.
0: Yeah, Right. or, like, got plastic surgery or something. Yeah, but it's
1: the same idea of, like, my gang betrayed me and now I'm back to get them and, like, oh, here's my old flame, like, my girlfriend who, like left me for someone else in the mob and I'm going to get revenge on her and, like, him tracking these people down and every time he confronts them, them being like, like, nah, I didn't betray you, like, I swear. And, like, it's it's very standard. Like, you're just taking one part of that kind of movie and subbing in some mad science instead of some other more mundane way for him to be coming back to get revenge on his gang.
0: Yeah. I will just note that... The Motion Picture Production Code would like to warn audiences that Black Friday shows two detectives being killed on screen, and that the code does not condone this movie. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, because we like just last...
1: talked about this. Yeah,
0: so I wonder if like those changes came down, and this film missed the deadline.
1: Yeah, maybe that might be the case here, just because of like, when this came out, like this came out in. Early 1940, uh, February 29th, 1940, so it might have been being made in late 1939 and just missed whatever cutoff point there was for those changes.
0: If you want to hear more about those changes, we talked about them last episode.
1: Every bit of storyline that doesn't quite make sense in this movie or would fall apart if it got examined in greater detail (laughs) gets glossed over with either, like, montages or voiceover from Karloff. Like
0: And, like, clips to the journal.
1: Yeah, like, how did he get custody of the two bodies, perform a brain transplant which killed one patient, with no one noticing, since he seems to have done it at a public hospital that he didn't work at?
0: I mean, he didn't technically get custody, because his daughter brings up that he didn't have permission to do any surgery right
1: but like what did he do like wheel the two bodies into an (laughs) operating room perform a surgery all by himself of like brains transplantation without anyone else in this hospital noticing and then when red cannon like the body of red cannon died like some cops come looking around later just to be like hey this is red cannon and they ask karloff like what happened he's like oh yeah he he had a broken spine and he died from complications or whatever but like Did no one go, oh, that's weird. This patient that was alive yesterday and totally fine other than paralysis is dead now. Let's do an autopsy. Oh, that's weird. He's got, like...
0: Half his brain is gone.
1: Yeah, you know, his head was shaved so that someone could do brain surgery, and now there's, like, stitching there. And, oh, look, like, a big portion of his gray matter is missing. Like, it makes no sense that he got away with this, but we don't actually really see that whole process. It's just, like, a paragraph in the journal so that we can move on to the next thing. You know, like we said earlier, the actual nature of the brain transplant is left totally vague so that it can basically be this Jekyll Hyde, multiple personality, he goes to bed as one guy, wakes up as the other kind of thing.
0: It's either like a montage or like an ellipsis where like we cut to the journal explaining a thing to like paraphrase what happened during that time and then we cut back... To, like the hotel room or something even when
1: it's not the journal it'll be these like quick edits of you know like the surgery itself is like five shots in quick edits or like these batman 66 style like spinning like and then we're at like the next scene yeah and, like, of
0: like newspapers coming in and out yeah yeah or
1: or you know um uh Cannon's, like reign of terror getting after his gang is like a quick series of you know shadowy shots so that we don't have to do like whole big elaborate scenes
0: and it it just bothers me because that kind of storytelling i feel like they're trying to do some lamp shading yeah like we don't want to show this we don't want to go over budget we don't want to go over time this is too complicated or we just don't want you to think about it so we'll just quickly gloss over it and it feels like it's shortchanging the story
1: oh absolutely
0: um and it honestly feels a little lazy. Yeah, all the most
1: interesting parts of the story happen off screen, mm-hmm. right? This would be like a version of Gone with the Wind, where someone just like came into a room and was like, wow, they just burned down Atlanta. It really sure was something. You ought to have seen it. Well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Newspaper spinning into your face.
1: <laughs> Atlanta burned down.
0: Okay, on yeah. to the next thing. <laughs> and then... Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Like, what? What happened? I think the other reason why this kind of storytelling bothers me, and I should say that, like, it's not so much use of ellipsis or montage is bad, it's just that this film uses it so often and in such a lazy way to kind of cut corners. It's a crutch. Yeah, it's a crutch, but it also is antithetical to horror.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Because, um... Now, listeners, if, if you've watched Nanette with Hannah Gadsby, um, she has this part where she talks about comedy and jokes being tension and release. Setup and then punchline. With comedy, you have that release with laughter. With horror, you have that release with a scream.
1: Yeah, but it's the same setup.
0: Exactly. And in this film, you don't get... A release with a scream. You don't even get it with a laugh. Instead, you get it with a bit of a fart noise because it's just dot dot dot. Next scene.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much.
0: It just is so flat.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a it's a horror story with all the bits that might be horrific just kind of alluded to, right?
0: And I can't even call this a thriller. No, in the way that like gangster movies are often seen as thrillers or pulp thriller, that kind of thing. I can't even call it that because the thrill gets just thrown out the window because of the dot, dot, dot next scene.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big structural problem in the movie. And there's one other huge structural problem in the movie that, that I hate as well, mm-hmm. which is the ending slash beginning. beginning. Why is he being electrocuted? Okay, okay. No, that makes sense to me. But what what makes what makes it frustrating okay so it's a it's a um, a flashback structure right there's a framing narrative right so if you start off this thing with like okay he's been accused of something he's going to get electrocuted for it he gives our journalist his notes the journalist read, reads his notes what would you expect the result of that to be if you had like a reasonable story structure
0: that he was innocent, and the reporter goes, no, wait, yeah. and they've already pulled the lever. Or, like, or
1: or he stops it, or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah. that would be the point of a story opening in such a way would be to go, okay, here's the story of how he's gonna get out of it, mm-hmm. right? Like, you wouldn't you know how, like, I don't know, you get, uh, there's that um, cliche of, like, someone in a horrible situation and then, like, record scratch, and then like, oh, you're probably wondering how I got into this, or whatever, oh, right? yeah. You know, if you had that, where you open, you know, in Medias res on, I don't know, Batman about to be eaten by, like, a killer shark, and then you flash back to show how he got there. If you just then came back to him and the killer shark and the shark ate him. Yeah. What the fuck do I care about how we got here then? Right? Yeah. Like, like so, in this movie, the thing that frustrated me was what he's getting electrocuted for is he shot George Kingsley. He shot and killed George Kingsley. But and the, it
0: was in, like, self-defense of his daughter. Right,
1: right, right, right. But you, none of that would make sense if you didn't know that he put fucking Red Cannon's brain in him. So that's seemingly the whole point of why he would give his notes to the journalist, is to be like, see, it's all explained. I fucking put a criminal's brain in my best friend's body. And then, yeah, you would think that then the ending would be the reporter going, no, wait, he's actually innocent. He didn't kill George Kingsley. He killed Red Cannon or whatever. But he doesn't. The reporter just kind of looks at the book, goes, huh. And then they just, like, kill him, and then that's the end. And I feel like the reason why that is, is because, of course, it's a code film, and Sovak, you know, violated the laws of God and nature, so he has to die. Mm-hmm. But if Sovak has to die, then why do we have a structure that tells us, at the start of the movie, he's going to die? The only reason to say at the start of a movie this guy's gonna die, is so that you can subvert it at the end by getting him out of it. Otherwise, you just... Or
0: have, like, a Greek tragedy kind of feeling where there's no way out of this.
1: Yeah, but there's none of that either. It's not that Sovak had no way out and was inexorably bound to this fate by the hands of destiny. He was just an asshole who was like, Oh, my best friend's dying. I guess I'll turn him into a criminal psychopath so I can get half a million bucks. Cool. Murder. It just is so weird because it's, like, it's, it's like as if it shows us his execution at the start simply so it can say, like, hey, this guy's gonna get his comeuppance. Like, like, almost as if it's reassuring the code. Like, it's okay, we're killing him off. Yeah. That's why we're following him.
0: But also, like, there's a note in his journal that we first see when the reporter opens it that says, like, I'm leaving this for prosperity so when someone who's better than me comes along, he can use this information to do brain transplantations.
1: His whole character, like Sovac's whole character doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Because like, who is this guy where he lives in a small town in like upstate New York and his best friends with like a quiet old English professor who has like a doting wife. And like he himself has this like innocent college age daughter But, like, his first thought after this accident is, like, I'm going to murder this criminal and put his brain in my friend so that I can get half a million dollars so I can keep doing my crazy experiments and, like, we're going to go to, like, New York and, like, do crazy nonsense. Like, who is Sovak that he's he's both of these people? I
0: feel like maybe it's supposed to be some kind of, like, oh, the tangled web we weave because he only does the brain transplant to save his friend and then he learns of the money and then he starts to see that red is coming through but so it, then it's like oh well then i can use that money like it, it's like obviously the film does not do it well because it 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 doesn't because
1: it doesn't show us the parts of the story where we see the connection like where we where we connect the dots right
0: yeah yeah
1: we just go from sovac kingsley's best friend who like you know, has tea with him on Sundays or whatever, to Sovak, crazy dude with, an, a, like, a weird scheme. And, and Karloff doesn't even play it well, because I think Karloff's so in tune with playing, like, the, like, evil mad scientist part that he can't quite connect those two parts of who this character is.
0: Totally. Um, Karloff feels like he's phoning it in for He does. Me. He Lugo- absolutely does. Yeah, Lugosi is just kind of mumbling and slurring through his role, so this is not an especially good entry for either of them.
1: Yeah, Karloff is just doing sort of a tenable version of a shtick we've seen him do a few times already. And better. Yeah, he's just sleepwalking. Even if Lugosi wasn't mumbling, here's the thing. That's the first time we've even mentioned Lugosi. That's how unimportant he is to the story and to the plot. He's just one of the gangsters, and he's completely ill-suited to that part, too, He's wasted in it. He would have made, I think, a better Sovak. Like, I think the role might have made more sense with Legosi in it and maybe throw in something about how he was disgraced back in Hungary and that's why he had to come to America and that's why proving his experiments is so important for him that he'd do all this crazy nonsense. But none of that's really here, so it doesn't work. The member of the cast who's the MVP is Stanley Ridges.
0: yeah. He does Kingsley and Red both very, very well um, in a way that feels, like, believable when he switches. Mm -hmm. I I still feel like everyone's reaction to him, like, when they expect to see Kingsley and they see Red, instead everyone freaks out like he's a horrible monster... Like, that was a bit overdone. I, I didn't really see why they'd be reacting that way. It'd be more like when you, you go to see someone and he suddenly has, like, a whole new haircut. Yeah. And isn't wearing his glasses. You'd be like, oh, did, did you lose your glasses?
1: I do like that the transformation is subtle. They do it in such a way that, like, it might not literally be some sort of Jekyll Hyde physical thing. Yeah. It's just like a, it's like a Superman to Clark Kent kind of transformation.
0: Yeah, but everyone's reacting as if it's, like, a huge transformation.
1: Sure. I just really like the way Ridges plays it. Like, mm-hmm. he, it's, it's, it's a subtle change, but then they are still two completely distinct people. Like, the change part is subtle, but the, the two roles are totally different. But you can believe that they're trapped in this one body. Like, he, he is perfectly good as either guy. You know, like you could have cast him as the kindly old professor in some weird small town comedy, or you could have cast him as the big gangster boss in a crime movie. And here he's doing both roles perfectly well.
0: I would have really have loved to see Karloff do this.
1: Yeah, apparently this is what Kurt Syedmak said, was that like Karloff didn't think he could pull off the dual role and was like intimidated by doing that and just wanted to be the mad scientist and do what was safe.
0: Which is strange to me, because Karloff did 1935's The Black Room. Right. Where it's kind of the same shtick.
1: Yeah, and he did great. He not only did the evil twin and the good twin, he did the evil twin pretending to be the good twin. It was really good.
0: Yeah. So I I don't know why he would suddenly feel that way, unless, like, I mean, I guess it's like five years later, maybe his confidence got shaken because he had seen the horror genre fall and he didn't want to like jeopardize any kind of success he was currently having with a flop.
1: Yeah, it might have been something where he was doing this string of mad scientist roles. He knew that was something he could do. It was getting him steady work. And if he did something riskier, yeah, what if it failed? Mm-hmm. Right? I think this movie should have been done the way it was originally intended to be done. Yeah. I don't think it would have worked if Lugosi had been... Kingsley Cannon. No. But he's definitely not any better off as uh Manta Ray or whatever he's playing.
0: Uh, I kept hearing, I think it's Marnie, but I kept hearing Marley. Right. So I kept thinking of A Christmas Carol.
1: One of the gangsters name is Frank Miller, which is just funny if you know the works of gangster obsessed comics creator Frank Miller. Yeah. Um, I feel bad for Stanley Ridges because You know, he's got third billing in this film after Karloff and Lugosi. Karloff and Lugosi's faces are on all the posters and advertising. But this is his movie. Mm -hmm. Like, the other guys are, you know, pretty useless in it. It's such a great moment when the first time you see Kingsley start talking with Cannon's voice. Right? Because Cannon's got, like, a very, like, yeah, I'm a gangster from New York. You're gonna (laughs) get me some dough. Uh, Whereas, like, Kingsley's voice is like, oh oh, I don't know, uh, New York is just so so scary and, and loud. Uh, is it really 5 o'clock already? Oh, I forgot my hat. Like, it's it's such a great turnaround. Um, too bad the rest of the movie just kind of sucks.
0: Yeah. So. Ranking.
1: Is this a horror movie, Sarah? I don't think so. Is it just a crime movie with a mad science gimmick?
0: I, that's how I feel. Um, I feel like it's... Even if you want to kind of see it within Universal's horror brand, mm-hmm. they're using it as, like, an attempt to do a gangster film. Right. So this is a case where, like, if we were watching every gangster movie ever made and ranking them in chronological order, I would say that this would be possibly a branch off of that into horror.
1: Right. But it's not the other way around.
0: No. Yeah, it's, it's
1: a weird gangster movie instead of a weird horror movie. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think you're totally right because we've had those kind of horror gangster movies that were still horror, right? Mm -hmm. We've had The Walking Dead and that was clearly like, oh, this weird gangster horror hybrid that was still clearly a horror movie. Whereas this is a gangster horror hybrid that is just more firmly a gangster thing, right?
0: Yeah, and it, it, honestly, I think that's because it doesn't commit to doing anything horrific.
1: No, no, it doesn't. It's it's all it is, is the mad science is just a gimmicky plot element to give the movie a different feel from kind of a standard crime revenge story, mm-hmm. right? It's it's like how the time traveler's wife isn't really sci-fi. It's no. a, It's a sappy romance movie. That has like a weird sci-fi gimmick just to make it just different enough from other sappy romance movies.
0: That's a good way to put this, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's the time traveler's wife of universal horror movies. <laughs> okay, so we're not ranking? No. Cool. I am good with that. Then this is going on the non-applicable section of the list. <laughs>
0: To check out any episodes that we've mentioned or to see what else happened to be on the not applicable list, you can go to screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can also find an appeals box if you would like to contest either this or any other ranking. Feel free to contact us there or through email at at screamscenepodcast.gmail.com. You're welcome to also talk to us on Twitter at underscore screamscene.
1: Screamscene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can find us on your podcasting app of choice through our RSS feed. If you'd like to help the show out, you can do that by letting other people know about it. Uh, Whether that's telling a friend or leaving a review on iTunes or rating the show on your podcasting app of choice or tweeting about the show, uh, spreading the good word about this good, good show that you like listening to. (laughs) Another way that you can help us out is by heading to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month and get special rewards at higher levels like cut audio from previous episodes at the five dollar level
0: so what are we watching next week Ben
1: next week Sarah we are watching the first all black horror movie oh cool son of engagi
0: that's really cool I'm super stoked
1: yeah, it's, I think, going to be interesting.
0: I hope it's at least better than this. Black Friday was such a letdown. With the name, like, Black Friday, like, I, oh, that's such a horror movie name. I wish it could have been better.
1: At least we know that the name Friday the 13th got saved for, like, a more long-lasting horror concept.
0: <laughs> that's true. But well, we will see you next week, creatures of the night. Bye! Bye!